You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Jesus, this morning as we lift our hearts to you, we want to acknowledge that you are the one in whom we can put our trust and your love never fails. You've never failed a single person yet and you will not start. And so, Jesus, this morning we, we come from all spaces of life. Some come uh, maybe into this, uh, this worship gathering uh, like they're crawling in. <laughs> feeling a sense of despair, and others come running in with a sense of joy. Uh, And Lord, whatever season we come to you in, you're worthy of our praise. You have what we need. And by your Holy Spirit, you give generously to your people. You give generously to the world. And so, Jesus, we want to enter into the fullness of the gospel this morning. Jesus, you've made way for us to be reconciled to the Father and to fill us with your Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Make us your people in every sense of the word. And build us up so that we might be a blessing to this city. For your glory, for your name. And so, Jesus, this morning's about you. And we continue to worship you as we tune our ear to your voice. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for being here. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Uh, my name is Keith. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here at the church. If, uh, if you're new or visiting, real special welcome to you. Uh, maybe you're here for uh, our Let's Talk series that we have been, uh, we have been doing for the month uh, of, of June here. We've covered a lot of ground in our Let's Talk sermon series over the, the last couple of years. We've talked about sex, money, mental health, medical assistance in dying, abortion, racism, debt, addiction, sexuality, environmentalism, politics, consumerism, the Me Too movement, truth and reconciliation. We've covered a lot of ground. Today we come to the topic of singleness. And it's a very personal subject for many people, and it's challenging to talk about. I was saying to the team earlier, I actually think it's easier to talk about some of these other subjects, like mental health and and racism in the church. It's easier to speak about those than singleness. For some people, at least, it is. But we need to talk about it for two reasons. First, many single Christians have been hurt by well-intentioned couples within the church. I know this to be true. I've counseled a number of Christian singles, mostly young, who carry wounds caused by one of the dear saints' misdirected words about their singleness. It's a reality. And I'm convinced that this harm can be avoided if the church as a whole, and I mean the whole church, recaptures the vision God has for the single person's life, for the single life. Which brings me to the second reason to talk about this. The Bible actually paints a compelling and hopeful vision of singleness, and we would do well as a church to understand it. And so this morning, I have two goals. First, I want to help all of us reclaim the Bible's vision of singleness. And second, I want to give some practical guidance on how singles and non-singles together can better serve one another as we follow Jesus with each other. So that's where I'm going. Two things, some theological and some practical. Although you've heard me speak, if you've heard me speak before, you know uh, uh, that uh, this is typically where I, I spend most of my time. Um, I want to paint for us a theology of singleness and then talk about how can we live it out, or, or what are some practical steps we can, we can take? But before I do, let me mention something. Uh, I am not single. And I want to say that at the outset, because some of you might be uh, watching or you know, uh, participating in this this morning, and you're thinking, what on earth of value does this married person have to say about singleness? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> there is value here. There's things that the Lord wants to say, but um, 
but I want to let you know how I prepared this morning. I've had conversations with at least eight single people over the past four weeks. Some were young adult singles, some were single parents, some were divorced singles, some widows, and some widowers. I've tried to listen and understand both the joys and challenges that they face as single people within the church. And secondly, I've read a bunch of books, (laughs) and I want to recommend one of them to you, particularly if you are a young adult single. Uh, It was a book that was gifted to me by... um, um, uh, I've got to say this right. My, my German isn't great. Schaltheim? Come on, someone help me out. Schaltheim Press. Uh, they're a local publisher. Uh, and uh, they heard about us doing this Let's Talk series. And so they sent me a book uh, on the subject of singleness, which was a great gift. Uh, but I read it this week, uh, and I want to encourage you to read it, especially if you're a young single. It's a book called, And If I Don't... <laughs> Remembering the Single, or Reimagining the Single Life. It's by April Clausen, and I'm going to read a bit from her book a little later, but I want to recommend that to you. Okay, so let's go. Let's talk about singleness. We'll begin with some theology. What does the Bible say about singleness? Well, the first thing to note is that the Bible speaks about singleness directly and indirectly. Directly, it says things like Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. He says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Now, I'm going to come back to this a little later, so we're going to hold on to it. But I simply want you to note that the Bible at times speaks directly to singleness but it also speaks indirectly about singleness too. It tells the story of of single people who find their place within God's redemptive history, his redemptive story. People like Naomi, the single widow who finds companionship with her single daughter-in-law. And the point is that the Bible speaks both directly and indirectly about the subject. So if we're going to to put together a Christian vision of singleness, we need to pay attention to both. And I've tried to do that as I prepared for us this morning. And as I pay attention to the direct talk and the indirect talk about singleness, three important things emerge when it comes to a theology of singleness as I am building it this morning. Three things. Community calling, and companionship. Those are the three things I want to talk about. First, community. If we read the Bible carefully, one of the first things we see is that human beings are created for community. We were created to commune with God and to commune with other people. Now, if you were here last week when Melissa spoke, which was, if you missed last week, you need to go online and watch it because it was a blessing. It built up the church. But Melissa, last week, she spoke about these two key relationships. She actually spoke about four, but I'm narrowing in on two. She spoke about the relationship of our communion with God and communion with other people. In Genesis chapter 2, It focuses in on this relationship between people. In Genesis 1, we read about God creating all things, and and then God looks at everything that he's made, and he says that it is good. But then we come to Genesis chapter 2, and he says, something is not good. What's not good? Aloneness. Disconnection. Isolation. Genesis 2.18, it begins and says, It is not good, God says, for the man to be alone after he had created Adam. Now, at the outset of the human story, we see that, that, God, that God doesn't intend for, for human beings to be alone. We are created for community. Now, here's the important part that we can't miss this morning. This passage of Scripture is sometimes used to say that God has designed human beings to get married. Am I right? Maybe you've heard that in the church. 
Because the passage does go on to say, or go on to be the first picture of marriage that we have in the Bible. It goes on there. It goes on to say that Eve is created and she becomes one flesh with Adam. But I want to submit to you that marriage is not the point of this story at all. It's a picture in the story, but it's not the point of the story. The point is something much more fundamental. The point comes when God says in verse 18 these words. He says, it's not good for Adam to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. See, the problem was aloneness, so God made a helper. And the word helper is an important one. It's the same word that the Bible uses to describe God. God as our helper. Like in Psalm 33, verse 20, it says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And in Psalm 115, over and over again, you get the same refrain, that God is our help. Help in these psalms is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis chapter 2. God is our helper like Eve is Adam's helper. And so God remedies the singleness of Adam by sending him a helper just like himself, someone to share the vocation of tending God's garden together. Now, the, the point is at the most fundamental level, God created human beings ultimately for community, not for marriage. We need to get this one right or we will always see singleness as something inferior or, or suboptimal or, or, or less than God's plan and design for a person, but it is not. And another reason we know this is because of Jesus, right? Jesus never married, but Jesus embodied community wherever he went. In fact, God in his very nature, in his, his very self, is a community, right? God exists as a community of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was out of that community of love that we were all made. We were made out of it. But we were also made to enjoy that community and to share that community with other people. This is the most fundamental thing that I know. Every human being was created for community, not for marriage. It doesn't mean that marriage is bad. Of course not. It's good. But at a fundamental level, we were made for community and not for marriage. Marriage is good. But marriage is not God's ultimate end and desire for every person he has made. And this matters. It matters because it means that as a single Christian person, you are not incomplete in any way. In Christ, you are a whole person. Nothing is missing. Nothing. And it sounds silly to have to stand up here and say this, but the reality is that sometimes Christian people, we get this one wrong, don't we? In fact, the world at large gets it wrong as well. They give the wrong message too. But let's focus on the church. Sometimes the church gets this wrong. I was at a wedding a few years ago, and the pastor spoke from this passage in Genesis chapter 2. And he essentially said to the young man and, and the young woman that they in and of themselves were two incomplete halves. But on that day, they were coming together to make themselves whole. But church, that's just bad theology. <laughs> it's simply not true. It's not what the scriptures are teaching us. It's like my single friend said it to me this, this week when we chatted. She said to me, Keith, you know what? I am not missing half of myself. <laughs> and it's true, she's not. God 
has created all of us for community, not for marriage. That's the first thing. The second thing is calling. If we want to understand Christian singleness, we need to understand our Christian calling. This is precisely what the Apostle Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, if, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning uh, because almost the whole chapter has something to tell us uh, 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 about this whole topic. And so you can read it this week. But essentially, in, in, in chapter 7, and that's the verse that I read at the very beginning when Paul spoke directly about marriage. In the whole chapter, he's addressing a whole bunch of different kinds of marital statuses. That's what's happening in the chapter. He speaks to married people, divorced people, widowed people, and never married before people in that chapter. And the reason he addresses these things is because each one of these categories of people had questions about how their new life in Christ would affect their, their marital status, right? They had questions, questions like this. Should newly converted Christians separate from their non-Christian spouse? It was a question they had. Should Christian singles stay single or should they get married? Should Christian marrieds stop having sex? It was a question they were asking. These were the practical questions that arose in the first century as, as people who had never before been Christians uh, all of a sudden gave their, saw the gospel of Jesus in a new light and began to follow him. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's like he's having his own Let's Talk series right there in the first century in chapter 7. He's saying we're going to have to talk about a few of these things. And Paul gives the same advice to every single person in every single one of these different marital status categories. And sorry for using that term, but that's the only term I can think of. In, in every one of these relationship statuses, he gives the same advice. And he says this, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now, we need to understand this is not a command. <laughs> This is Paul's wisdom to the church that he was leading. He says, remain in the situation, in the status that you were when you were called. If we narrow in on what he is saying to singles at that time, in that day, in effect, he is saying, if you're single, remain single. Now, the question is, why does he say that? <laughs> Why does he give that advice to, to stay single? Although, before I get there, let's just note that he is giving great honor to the single life here, right? Paul isn't uh, the person who's trying to match everyone up. His advice goes in the opposite direction. But why does he give that advice? Well, it's because he understood that your Christian calling is not the same thing as your relationship status. A person isn't called to be married or called to be single. We are called into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 it says everything that we need to everything that needs to be said about our Christian calling whether you're married or single or or whatever. It says God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Every single person's calling in this room is into relationship with Jesus. It's our calling. It's the most important thing about you. God has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus, to share fellowship in his affections, and fellowship in his redemptive mission in the world. And this calling matters more than any person's relationship status. Your calling in Christ means that you're part of something much greater than your relationship status. Uh, listen to what April Clausen says in her book. She says this, My relationship status 
does not, and she's writing as a single person, if I didn't mention that. My relationship status does not dictate my life in relationship with God. My life in relationship with God, rather, dictates what I do and where I go, no matter my status. And Clausen goes on uh, uh, speaking about not wanting to miss out on this grand adventure of God's calling in her life while she's waiting around for her relationship status to change. This is how she puts it. She says, I don't want to waste the single years of my life. Whether or not my relationship status will ever change is a mystery. But the fact that time is passing is not. I cannot regain the hours and months and years I spend if I ignore the call of God on my life for the pursuit of other things, no matter how good or appropriate they might seem to be. The call to follow Jesus might not look as though it will lead me closer to a lifestyle I had always imagined for myself. But whether or not it does is not the most important part. I want to give Jesus my yes. A life surrendered to his calling. One that says, I will follow you wherever it takes me, however that looks, single, Married, widowed, I still have a choice to make. See, April lives with a greater vision of her calling in Christ. She sees herself as part of something greater than her relationship status. And now, that vision doesn't make being single any easier but it does give dignity and purpose to her singleness. It honors the most important thing that God has done in her life. She knows her calling into fellowship with Christ. And this is precisely why the Apostle Paul instructs singles to remain single. Because he knows, like April knows, that your calling is greater than your relationship status. Sometimes singleness is seen as a, a problem to be fixed. I don't know if you've ever felt that as a single person or, or, or if you've ever acted that way toward a single person. See it as a problem to be fixed. Uh, maybe there's the aunt who's always asking you as a single person, now when are you going to meet somebody nice? You know, right? Or maybe you live with the inner voice saying, God, this is, I, I, need, I need your provision. I, I need you to fix this. I, I need you to find me someone. These are honest things. And while the desire for marriage is a good thing, of course it's a good thing. What if instead of seeing singleness as something to fix, what if we saw singleness as something God has entrusted you with? for an undetermined amount of time. And he's asking you to be faithful with that time to make the most of your Christian calling. I think that's the right question to ask. And so we've considered community, we've considered calling, and, and now companionship. And can I just add, there's way more to talk about than I can get through in this, this little bit this morning. But let's turn to companionship. What about companionship? In speaking with some of my single friends, a con companionship is, is the deep longing of their soul. Another person to share intimate parts of their life with. One widow I spoke to captured it saying it th this way. She said, you know what? I never knew the depths of loneliness until after my husband died. Another friend, a, a never married man who's in his 50s, he said, I long for a wife to share my life with, someone I can talk to at the end of the day. <laughs> Both of these friends are speaking about a longing for companionship. But before I speak about that, let me quickly take a detour and address another longing in the conversation on singleness, right? Sex. A longing to experience sexual intimacy with a husband or a wife. And sometimes this longing, it takes the form of a protest, and it sounds like this. Why should singles have to miss out 
on the experience of sex. It seems unfair. If God made us sexual beings, why should single people have to go without those desires met? I got a really easy answer for you. No, I have no easy answers for you. There isn't an easy answer here. There are no easy answers to complex questions, but let me say this. The world around us would say that you cannot have a full and fulfilling life without having the experience of sex. But this simply isn't true. It is perfectly possible to be single, celibate, and live a fulfilling and fulfilled life. When Jesus in John chapter 10.10 said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, he wasn't talking about sex. But it's still possible to have a full life without it. One can live a full and fulfilling life and be single and celibate. And the Bible has many examples. I, I mean, Jesus is one of them. But you might be sitting there thinking, okay, Keith, but I'm not Jesus. I'll give you that. But the same spirit that lived in Jesus lives in us. And there are other examples. Like the story of Naomi that I've referred to. We, we, we read her story in the book of Ruth. Where it tells the love story between Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. It's not a romantic love story. It's an agape love story. It's the story of a single daughter-in-law who commits her entire life to a single mother-in-law because she would have been utterly lost without her. And Ruth expresses her love to Naomi saying, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Or we might think about the Disney movie Frozen. Any Frozen fans out there? <laughs> Some parents are like, please, no, I've seen it three million times. <laughs> Anna is dying, waiting for true love's kiss to break the spell. And that kiss comes from whom? <laughs> it's not Prince Charming, but from her sister, Elsa. Frozen isn't a romantic love story. <laughs> it's an agape love story. And that's the kind of story that God has fundamentally made each one of us for. And the point is this. A person can live a fulfilled life without sex. It's not easy, of course. A person can, can live without sex, but a person cannot live without companionship. We can live without the longing for sex met, but we cannot live without the longing for companionship met. We were made for companionship. It's like oxygen for the soul. A few years back, our church supported two families displaced by the war in Syria. Uh, many of you were part of this. And two years into our sponsorship of, of, of these families, I remember talking to one woman from our team, and she said something like this. She said, I'm single, and I don't have a family. But being part of this work, I've been adopted into one. <laughs> now I'm the Canadian grandma. <laughs> We're sharing meals together. I'm driving the kids to soccer practice. It's like I have a whole new life. Companionship. It's like oxygen. Everybody needs to know who their people are and who will be there when you really need someone. We can make it without sex, but we cannot make it without companionship. And church, if we are ever going to be a church that honors single People. We need to be willing to make room in our lives to cultivate companionships with those who don't have a spouse. I see no other way. To be spiritual friends and not just simply kind people, but companions on the journey of faith. Soul friends. 
life, friends. There's a lot to reflect on in all of this, and that's my theology of singleness. It revolves around those three things, um, around community, around calling, and companionship. So let me say a few quick things on practicality before we get to our panel. First, speaking to the non-single people among us, so non-singles among us, people like me, uh, here's the practical thing, here's the step. We need to make room for single people. We need to make room. Sometimes married people don't have space in their life for for single people. We're too focused on our spouse or we're too focused on our kids and, and we don't let anyone else in. And in this sense, marriage and family can become an idol. An idol. Something that we prioritize over God's calling in our life to serve other people and love other people. We need to make room for people who need companionship. And here's a practical angle to that. For you newlyweds, don't drop your single friends now that you're married. (laughs) Don't do it. And for those of us uh, who are further along in the journey, every one of us, we need to prioritize and cultivate friendships with people who are not married. And one of my single friends uh, gave me the advice of this. They said, and when you do that, don't make it awkward. Uh, And so that's uh, her advice. Don't make it awkward. (laughs) A few years ago, a a friend um, who I know lost his wife to cancer. He was grieving and he was lonely, and especially in the evenings. Well, a friend of his on his, uh, was praying one evening, and, and he felt the Spirit whisper to him, saying, go visit your friend who's just lost his wife. And so the man showed up at his grieving friend's house unannounced one evening, and the two men, they basically sat in silence and wept together for an hour. And after the hour, the man got up and went home to his family. And my grieving friend said that that was deeply meaningful. It was like Jesus was with him. That's what making room looks like. I know a group of Christian friends who are in their 40s. They've been friends since university when they first uh, went to a Bible study together. And and now it's 20 years later and they still get together every year to to fellowship and, uh, and, and catch up with one another. And you know what? Everyone in the group got married, except for one person, uh, one, one, one woman. Well, a few months back, the group all got together for a visit at a resort, uh, a spa of all places. You know, the kind of place where couples go? (laughs) But here's the thing. One of the husbands said to his wife, I want you to go with our, our single friend instead of me. Go together. She's as much part of our spiritual family as I am. You should go with her. That's making room. I spoke to a single mom who who shared with me how helpful the church was when she was raising her kids as a single mom. One lady in the church took this single mom under her wing. She, She brought her dinner once a week and she would look after the kids. And the two became great friends in the process. That's making room. Another way non-single people uh, can make room is to stop projecting our experience of marriage onto single people. (laughs) Singles, single people want your friendship, not your advice on dating. All right, is that true? I thought I'd maybe get an amen on that from uh, some singles in the crowd. Single people, they want your friendship, not your advice on dating. Don't assume that everyone needs to, as I've said, or, or, or wants to be married. Remember, we're created for community, not marriage. And instead of saying to a single person, I'm praying for a spouse for you, why not ask them what they are praying for and simply join them in praying for that? Being careful with our speech, it's a way of making room. It's a way of making room. Now, to the single people, let me simply say this one thing. You need to take room. As non-singles like me make room, you need the courage to take it, to live into the sometimes awkward spaces of being the single person in a world dominated by couples. It's the unique challenge that you face in all of this. 
But here's the thing. You get to define the way you are going to live out your singleness. Single doesn't need to mean alone. It can mean someone who is invested in community, following God's calling, and experiencing companionship among the body of Christ. And it's yours to take. Let's pray. Jesus, I invite you by your Holy Spirit to to meet with your people in the quiet place of their heart by your Spirit, to love each one of us, and to knit our hearts together as the body of Christ. You care deeply about people. You care deeply about our desires, our struggles. You care deeply about the things that we care about. And so, Jesus, minister to these things and build us up to be your church. (laughs) This beautiful, compelling vision of people who come together, who, who are different in order to carry the glory and the story of Jesus in the world. And so we pray you continue to lead us this morning as we continue the conversation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, I'm going to do a quick switch rooney here. I'm going to bring this, uh, and I'm going to uh, invite up Laura and Marion. I almost called you Lara, Laura, sorry, uh, wherever you are. Come on, why don't you come on up? You're going to grab your stools. I'm going to grab mine and get uh, my notes here. Uh, and so w- can we give a round of applause for Marion and Laura? Uh, it takes a lot of bravery uh, to, uh, well, on, on, on any subject, of course, to, uh, to do this. And so uh, everyone's already with you. <laughs> um, but uh, hey, let me do a couple quick. I'm, just, I'm not checking my, uh, m- you know, my text right now. I have my notes on my phone here. So, um, uh, but uh, l- let me just say a few things by way of intro. For those of you who don't know what we're doing, we, during our Let's Talk series, uh, we, we, we take a topic, we have a message, then afterwards we have a panel of people who take your questions in real time, and so we invite you to text those to the number, uh, whether you're at home, uh, uh, online, or in the building. Uh, and then, we're go- then we're, we have some people who are going to speak into it. And so, so first we've got, uh, we have Laura Petko, who is part of our church family uh, for quite a long time, actually. Uh, yeah, about six years, I think. Six years, six, six glorious years. Uh, and uh, uh, Laura serves on our worship team. You've probably see, seen her on the worship team multiple times uh, and also in our preteen ministry. Uh, and Laura is single through divorce and has been for the last nine or ten years. Uh, and so she's speaking from that perspective. Uh, and then we have Marion, who is also a beloved part of our, our church family. Uh, Marion is, ser- is serving currently on our board of elders uh, and uh, is a, a single widow who lost her husband, Harry, uh, about nine years ago. Uh, and so, uh, so thank you to both of you for being here uh, and to, 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 to leaning in. And so the first thing, first things first, I get to ask the first question, so, uh, so I hope that's okay with you. But uh, when we sat down to prepare for this, uh, both of you expressed that you enjoy being single. So can you help us understand, how did you come to that? Laura, who do we want to start with? I'll go first. Um, yeah, so I mean, my plan had never uh, been to be single, like I was married and then uh, was not, and so um, being single was a it was a shock and it was an adjustment. But I think over time, um, there's definitely a period of grief that you go through and a relearning of what life looks like when it's different than what you had expected. Um, but being sing- single is, I really enjoy it. I have a great amount of freedom to be involved where I want to, to say yes to a lot of opportunities. And I think it has given me a greater freedom to live the life that I feel uh, God has called me to. Yeah. 
And for me, um, I got married at 19, um, thought I was going to grow old with my husband and travel with him in retirement and all this kind of thing. Um, That didn't turn out to be the way it ended up. And um, for me, it's it's just um, when Harry passed away, it was, yes, lots of grief for sure. But it was like, okay, God, you obviously have a different plan for me. So what's what's this new plan? And I think just learning to trust him. And so that's kind of been my journey. And yes, I too very much enjoy singleness. <laughs> not looking for anybody to, you know, yeah. fulfill me or and, and make that, me yeah, whole. That's not the point. Yeah, God does no, that. No. So uh, can you, maybe just a, a general question, like what are some ways that, uh, you know, navigating life in the church as a single person, what, what has been helpful and, or maybe what has been harmful? So that's a big open-ended question. I haven't really experienced anything harmful um, in my situation. Uh, I have experienced some dear friends who have... Um, included me for meals, um, included me for game nights, um, for just different things like that, um, invited me to go camping with them when they were going camping, you know, to take my unit and go along. And, and, and so there has been that. Um, I have had to put myself out there sometimes, um, but that's okay too. God gives you strength to do that when you need it. Well, I was just a general question about, you know, is navigating life as a single person in the church, what has been helpful, what has been harmful? Uh, Where has it gone well, and where are the challenges? I think one of the challenges is um, that it takes, yeah, a certain amount of bravery to show up in a world that it definitely uh, feels like it caters to people who are in a relationship or people who have a family to be the person who goes to something by yourself is it's a challenge and it takes um an effort and um it's not without nerves and it's not without um some fear involved but getting there and doing being part of it after um there's a lot of people that I have been able to connect with that I probably wouldn't have before just because of the ability that I have to say yes to going and doing something um, without needing to um, take a whole family along with me. That's been a, something I have experienced. So uh, someone's made this, this comment, uh, comment and a question, and so I'm just going to read it as it comes in. So it says, as a single person, the thing that cuts me to the heart is when people say or imply that I'm not a woman because I'm not married. Uh, and I don't have kids. Uh, Unfortunately, this has happened to me more often in the church than in my secular life. Uh, Why is that? Uh, uh, And so that's a big question. Um, uh, And so, and in it, you know, I think that there's the, you've named kind of the the reality that some people have experienced, that that is implied or or even said. Uh, I'm not sure that I can answer why, but I don't know if there's anything that comes to mind that you want to speak into, uh, into that situation. not having kids of my own, um, there is, yeah, there's, it all sometimes feels like a cultural sort of expectation that you, um, you know, you grow up and you get married and you have a family and that's how life should be and that's what we, you know, as a whole culture in the church and sort of outside of the church, that's what sometimes it feels like is an expectation and, um, my experience is that the more I'm open about where I'm at with my life, the realization is that that expectation is something that isn't there as much as I maybe have perceived it to be. Um, not that people don't have their expectations or they're you know, wondering about why you haven't lived your life a certain way, but knowing that my identity is not connected 
to having a spouse and is not connected to having a family gives me um, a greater confidence in that I have been following Jesus and that if down the road those things were to be part of my life, then that would be because God put them there and the timing was his timing and not just something that I felt I needed to do. Yeah. So, so in that, uh, so in, in, in that I hear uh, just needing to have a, a, a grounded, like a really developed sense of who you are in, in Jesus to be able to stand up to the questions. And so, you know, to, for, for, the, for the question that says, why do people ask that question? I, I think that there, there is, it's often well-intended, <laughs> but it, it doesn't always land that way. And so that's, that's where, where that goes. But, uh, you know, on this idea of uh, having to have a cultivated sense of who I am in Christ to navigate kind of well in some of the complexities that a single person might face in church, uh, I, I'm reminded of uh, April's book. She talks about, you know, just the, the need for the thing that every Christian needs, and that's the spiritual disciplines to cultivate a life with Jesus because, uh, you know, we all need that, uh, but there's a unique way of navigating uh, life as a single person that, that Jesus can give strength for. Uh, but I do want to, to, to read a comment that came in because this connects in my mind. Uh, it's a comment, uh, it's a critique of the sermon point that I made, and I love this. This is great. It says, Okay, and, and it's quotes, because I said this. Uh, couples need to make room, and singles need to take room. So that's the kind of action steps that I said. But that implies that couples are the only ones who have room to begin with. Uh, what about the space that singles have to offer? Uh, and that's a great question. And we're not just talking about, like, room in your, your apartment or your house, right? Uh, room is a metaphor, uh, right? Uh, and so I think that the question is saying, hey, what about the things that single people have to offer? It's not just all about, you know, couples are the ones who are going to fix everything. And uh, so excellent point, 100%. Uh, and I think that you've put your finger on something, uh, right? The, the, there's, a, there's a fortitude uh, that, the, you know, that single people... Um, or that you've grown as a single person to navigate in that, that in the church. And so, um, so as I put together the message, I'm speaking as a, as a married person. So I think it's great to open that question up. You know, I've kind of said uh, couples can make room uh, and singles can take room as my steps. What would you say about the things that single people uniquely offer uh, the body of Christ uh, when it comes to cultivating uh, companionship? Because that's kind of where... Um... I don't know that it's unique to single people. Um, I think we all can open up our lives and our homes to whoever God brings across our path. Um, I've said to a few people, one of my favorite things to do, and this comes from somebody who isn't, a multi, you know, has to micromanage things. I'm not a super far-out planner. Um, I'm much more into spontaneity, but I love it when I have my day kind of planned out and God interrupts it um, with somebody that comes to the door or a phone call or an invitation to do something or another. Yeah, we can, I think to me it's more about all of us, regardless of our marital status, listening to the Holy Spirit and taking our leave from him as we go through our days and just just being trusting and obedient. And even, I know for myself, choosing to be part of different things like preteen ministry, it gives um, an opportunity for me to connect with a bunch of different families and kids and give them um, like a different sort of, or connect with them in a different relationship than is with their parents or with their family or their teachers, it's, um, it's, it is a really fulfilling relationship. And it's kind of, it's interesting because uh, it just gives you a chance to, as a single person, to kind of step into some of their life and take up like a role that you might not have on a daily basis, but it gives you an opportunity to, um, yeah, to be part of a family in a different way. Okay, that's great. 
Uh, one of the things that uh, I've heard it through the books and conversations is sometimes for, for a single person to, they all often hear, you know, the passage that Paul talks about, that a single person that has more, t- more time, that's better for them to be single but, so that they can serve God more, right? Uh, and uh, I kind of stayed away from some of that direct language because I know that it can be triggering. But the, the point is, our Christian callings are Christian calling. Right? And we live that out uniquely. And so as a single person, there's lots of room to do more than simply take room. Uh, uh, and so, uh, but you get to go on that grand adventure as to what that means in your life. So I hope that I, we've honored that question because it's a really great question and corrective. Um, okay, uh, I think we've got, we've got time for, uh, for, for one or two more. Uh, so um, this question says, how do I know if God wants me single or married? Do you want me? I'm happy. I always have something to say, so. There's a verse that talks about being content, Ah. no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. To me, that's key. Um, Not always looking to the future, um, but being content right now, today, exactly where God has placed me. If he chooses to to change that in the future, that's entirely up to him, um, but it's on me to be to be content today. That's great. That's a good word. Um, <clears throat> I, I think that there's sometimes we live with this inherent uh, idea that God has this like one set blueprint for our life. Like when we're born, He's like, okay, and I've mapped the whole thing out, and at the end, you're either married or you're not. I don't know if it works that way. Uh, sometimes I, I like to think of God. You know, God's will in our life is his invitation. Uh, and so maybe the question, rather than thinking about the question of, you know, does God want me to be single or married, you could, you could be praying, hey, like, or, or, or how do I know? It's like the question is more, is God inviting me into this relationship? Is he blessing me in this relationship that I'm, I'm, I'm facing right now, right? So if you're, because if you're looking at it as a single person saying, well, does God want me to be married or single? I need to figure that out before the rest comes into play. That's not the way it works. Um, Each day it's, God, what's before me? And are you inviting me? Are you blessing me there? So I know that doesn't make it easier, but it's a way of, it's not a blueprint. It's following the voice of Jesus in your life. Uh, And he is sovereign. uh, And he he has a way of leading us, right, Uh, in that. And so, uh, and then maybe another comment on how do I know? Uh, This is a question about discernment. Right? Uh, I had a friend uh, in Bible school that, or at a Bible school that I, I went to, and he told me about his brother who asked the Lord, God, do you want me to marry this, this girl? And he pointed, he opened the, the passage and pointed to a verse, and it said, marry the woman. Uh, and so they got married. Uh, and don't do that, okay? Uh, that's, uh, that's the worst discernment model that you could ever uh, uh, have. Uh, and it's not that God, you know, doesn't speak to us through his word or, or kind of do miraculous things. That's not the point. But a good discernment model will have a Christian counsel, uh, wise decisions. Uh, it will include people uh, and, uh, and, and lots of prayer. Uh, and so I'll say that. Uh, I want to get to this question because it's a great one. Um, okay, it says, I, I am single but want to get married. How do I balance that desire and the work that goes along with finding a potential partner? They don't just magically appear. Uh, so how do, I, how do I go about doing that work of finding a potential partner? Uh, how do I balance that with the calling to follow, to follow Jesus? I think I just butchered the question. How do I balance the desire, uh, that desire to get married, with the work that goes along with finding a potential partner uh, with the calling to follow Jesus? So how do I find that balance? This is not dating advice from Laura. Please don't ask me about that. Um, I think one of the greatest things is that God knows the deepest desires of our hearts. And so that if you have that deep desire to be married and to have a family and to be in that kind of a relationship, I believe that God will honor that. Um, I think the greatest thing is to be in communication with God about the things that you are looking for, maybe in a person, and the more you pray about it, I think the more God will reveal to you what are really the important pieces. And that 
it has to be his timing. If you are trying to force something, then it will just end up being a disaster. Um, yeah, to know that God hears your heart and to hear and that He hears and He will um, honor the things that you have um, that you have, like that you're asking for. I think is there's a freedom in that in knowing that then there's no timeline. It has to be God's timeline as far as being in a relationship with somebody. Yeah. As far as doing the work, please don't ask me about that. <laughs> I would just like to add to that, too. I, yes, I, I used to read that, that verse about he will give you the desires of your heart. And I said, oh, I just have to, you know, want something and magically. And yeah, no. <laughs> His desires become our desires. I think that's what that verse means. And different circumstances, nothing to do with singleness, um, things that I have wanted so much, I could taste them um, different times in, in my life and going and relinquishing that to him and saying, Lord, you know this is what I want. He knows what we think and what we want anyway before we even think it, so we may as well be honest with him. Um, you know this is my desire, Lord, and it's my deep, deep desire, but if it's not yours for me right now, please change my, my thoughts, change my heart, change my what I want. And sometimes he has, and sometimes he hasn't. Um, and that's cool. That's just, you know, it's uh, sometimes he has completely taken that desire away from me when I have relinquished it. And other times it's just been a reinforced. Yeah. Maybe to pull a few threads together, the desire for marriage is, is good. Like, that's a good desire. Uh, seeking to find a partner in marriage, that is also good. <laughs> so don't get me wrong, not saying that that's bad. No, that's good to, to take risks and, and follow the, you know, the Lord's leading in that, you know, as the Lord leads in that. Um, but the question is how you go about living with that desire uh, and pursuing, right? Is, is, that the, is, the, is that driving kind of your decisions? Uh, or is your calling the greater thing? And, and I don't know how you live that out. That's the million-dollar question of discipleship, right? Um, there's no easy answer to that. Uh, and so, um, but uh, the attitude we bring to it is uh, and, and honoring the Lord. So, so bless you in that because uh, it's, it's very real. Uh, so I'm going to draw us to a close here. Um, we've gone a, a few minutes over time, but uh, um, let me, let, first, why don't we say thanks, and you can stay here. So another round of applause. <laughs> Wonderful. So each month we've been, um, uh, we've been saying, or each week we've been talking about putting our money where our mouth is. We want to not just talk about issues. We actually uh, want to, uh, we had some leftover money from our budget last year. Uh, from last year, we had a bit of a surplus and the board decided, hey, we want to we donate this money to local community organizations as a way of living out our vision of engaging the people in needs here in our city. Uh, and so we've kind of, the last two weeks, we've, we've given some money away. We want to do that again this week. And can I just say, not every organization is connected to the topic we're talking about. So let me just say that. Uh, that's just helpful. Uh, but this, uh, this week, we we're giving $2,000 to Adult and Teen Challenge uh, here in the Okanagan. For those of you who don't know about Adult and Teen Challenge, they're a Christ-centered addiction center. Uh, uh, they exist to help people become mentally sound, emotionally balanced, socially adjusted, physically well, and spiritually alive beyond addiction. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're thankful to, to see their work in our city, and we want to uh, bless them with that. So, um, so with that, uh, why don't we stand? Um, oh, I think... I might have a quick announcement. Oh, yes, I have a quick announcement that I need to make uh, as well. Um, uh, two, two quick ones. First, we have our, our summer camp uh, coming up in August, uh, 15th to 19th. Uh, and actually, we've had to cap our registration because we don't have enough camp leaders. So if you are available on August the 15th to the 19th, you can help out as a leader. We really have that need. If, if there's one leader, we can open 10 spots uh, for kids. 
That might scare you away because you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to kid. Don't worry, we've got support systems for you. Uh, and so uh, we want to call you that, but we also have other needs to help with supplies and snacks and stuff. Uh, Suzanne is going to be out in the foyer, and Chris, I believe, out in the foyer, uh, that we've got a, a little sign. You can go there. They'd love to talk to you. They'd love to sign you up for something. Uh, and so I'd encourage you to that. Also want to let you know, next week we're talking about d- domestic abuses. Uh, and so uh, that's a real difficult topic for many. And so we just want to let you know in advance so you can kind of prepare for that. Okay, so as you go, church, you go uh, as a, a community of people that in your life together, you reflect the love and glory of God to the world around. And so we make room for one another. And as we go out into this world, let's make room in our lives for other people so that they might know the glory and story of Jesus. Thanks for being here. Go in peace.